Corinthians chapter 9. Winter has gone, spring is here, summer's coming, and I look at myself in the mirror and I see that I am flabby. And as I look out at you sitting in the pews laughing at me because I am flabby, I see that you are flabby. Now, what can we do about this flabbiness? We've got to get in shape. We've got to put on some muscle so we'll look good in the summer. Now, I'm not talking about physical appearance, although I could. I'm talking about spiritual appearance because many of us have got flabby. We've gotten soft. And what we're going to do the next eight weeks is get you on an exercise program to build you up, to firm you up, so you'll look good in those summer fashions, those spiritual clothes that are coming. This morning, getting in shape with discipline. Discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 24. The words of Paul the Apostle, who's writing to the church at Corinth then, who's writing to Miles Road Baptist Church now, who's not stating his opinion, but he's speaking for God. And he says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. So run that you might be that one that you might be the winner, that you might obtain. And everyone that striveth for mastery is temperate, has self-control, is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain an earthly crown that they will leave behind when they die. But we who are Christians... We're striving for incorruptible crowns that will never be taken away because they'll be given to us in heaven. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not without focus. I fight, not as somebody boxing the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. I don't allow anything to capture me lest that by any means when I have taught and preached to others, I myself should become a loser. I might become defeated. The word he uses is castaway. As a former football coach, I like to read about other football coaches. And I've just finished reading my last book, on five football coaches. Each of them are in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame. Every one of them are legendary. Every one of them are winners. Every one of them have to their credit at least, at least two Super Bowl victories. Their names? Vince Lombardi, Green Bay Packers. Tom Landry, 
Dallas Cowboys, Chuck Knoll, Pittsburgh Steelers, Bill Walsh, San Francisco 49ers, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. Five coaches, all different in many ways, from different eras, they played different competition, they ran different offenses, they ran different defenses. But these five coaches, legendary coaches, winning coaches, victorious coaches, highly respected among their peers as the elite, they all believed that in order to be a winner, you had to instill certain things in the players who played for you. They all believed that if you were going to play the game of football for them, you had to be committed. No, not committed. Totally committed. Absolutely surrendered to the profession that you've chosen and to the pursuits of what that profession is all about. No halfway commitments. No when I feel like it. No I'm leaving. No I'll call you later's. No, I'll see you tomorrow's. They believed that it took total commitment. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. They also believed that if you were to play the game of football for them, not only must you be totally committed to the game of football, but you must be obedient. You must follow orders. You must abide by the rules, and you must do it totally. There's no pick and choose what you will do or not do. There's no halfway obedience. There's no changing the rules or exemptions to the rules for anybody. And their mind, everybody's equal. Everybody plays on a level playing field. Whether you be the star of the team or whether you be a bench warmer, everything applies to everybody. You do what you're told to the best of your ability. Total commitment. Total obedience. Thirdly, they believe that you play the game of football to win. You don't play to look pretty. You don't play to get a check. You don't play to go out on the field and wave at the fans and dance to the music. If you're a football player, you play the game of football for one reason, one reason only, and it's to win. Your happiness doesn't matter. Your comfort is irrelevant. Your pleasure is of no concern. All of that gives way to the purpose of winning. Winning isn't everything in their mind. It's the only thing. Total commitment. Total obedience. You play to win or you don't play at all. And they also believed in teamwork. Everybody works together on the same page. Everybody knows what they're to do. 
They're to do it with excellence. They're to do it with effectiveness. They're to do it in such a way that not only do they bring honor to themselves, but they bring honor to the teammates that they play with, and they bring honor to the organization. Everybody works together. There's no solo acts. There's no lone rangers. There's no egos. There's no meisms. There's no selfishness. Everyone on the same page doing what they're told to do to the best of their ability for the good of all. Everybody just blends together. Nobody stands out. One of those coaches was asked about his players. He said, all I see is green and gold. I don't see black, I don't see white, I don't see red, I don't see yellow, I don't see stars, and I don't see have-nots. All I see is passion. Now, why do I share that with you? Because I believe there is great similarity and what it takes to be an athletic champion and what it takes to be a champion for Christ. That's not just my opinion, because if it was just my opinion, it wouldn't be any better than yours. That's the opinion of the Apostle Paul. Athletics was a big thing in his day, particularly track and field athletics. Football had not been invented yet. Baseball had not been invented yet. Basketball had not been invented yet. What had been invented was track and field events. And Paul lived in a time when that was the premier athletic event for the citizens of Rome and the world. And what he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and following, is he uses athletic metaphors to talk about what it takes to get in shape to be a great Christian for the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it take to get in shape? If you and I desire to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to talk about. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking, Pastor, I'm, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go ahead and take a nap now. I'm not very athletic. I really don't want to be an athlete. I, I, I just like being a fan, a spectator. I, I like playing in the band. I like being a cheerleader. I, 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 I don't mind even being the water boy or the ball boy and making sure the balls are inflated properly. Pastor, I, I, I don't, I'm not an athlete, so I don't have to listen, right? Wrong! The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you were put on the field of faith. You weren't put in the stands. You weren't put in the band. You weren't put on the cheerleading squad. You were made an athlete for Jesus. You can't get out of it. You are one. Now, how good of one you want to be is entirely up to you. But you're now on the track, and you're now running the race, as we're going to talk about. 
question is, how can we run that race and be great? Paul gives us four things that we can do to build ourselves up in the area of discipline that we can start putting on some spiritual muscle. Number one, he says, as a Christian athlete on the track of faith, you run to the finish line. You reach the goal. Look at verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race all run in the race, but only one's going to receive the prize when they cross the finish line. You run that you might be that one, is what he says in verse 24. I love the Bible because it's so simple, so plain, so practical. Paul says an athlete has a starting line that he goes from, and he goes from the starting line to the finish line. He has a beginning and he has an end. He, that's what he has. And the, and the purpose of the athlete is to not only start, but to finish. Not only to begin, but to end. He's to go from point A to point B as fast as he can go, as hard as he can go, as strong as he can go, with as much passion he's ha- as he can have to get to the finish line. When you're running a race, you don't walk. You don't stop and text somebody. You don't turn around or turn back. You don't quit. You don't lollygag. You ever heard that word before? It means fool around. You run hard. You run fast. You run strong. You run with passion. You don't give up until you get from the starting line to the finish line from the beginning to the end. You don't give up. You say, Pastor, yes, I see your hand up. The race is hard. The race is long. The race is painful. The race is futile. The race is boring. The race is lonely. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were put at the starting line, the gun is sounded, and now you run. You run. Purpose of running the Christian race is to finish. And sadly to say, there are many who start but never finish. They throw in the towel for a thousand and one reasons. They never cross the finish line. They never end what they began. In 1968 Olympics, Tanzania had a runner by the name of John Aquari. He was a distance runner, a marathon runner to be exact. And when the race began, John Aquari, who should have been in the middle of the pack or probably even up in the front of the pack, he got tangled up with some other runners, and he got 
knocked over. He fell to the ground. And it was a nasty fall. He got abrasions. He got scrapes. He began to bleed profusely. He began to change color in some of the spots that were hurt. It took him over 30 minutes to finally get everything under control. And by that time, obviously, most of the runners had, were far, far, far out of sight. But you know something? Though he could not run very fast, he started running again. He came in 90 minutes late. 90 minutes behind the last runner. An hour and a half had went by. Everybody else has already crossed the finish line. And here he comes. Hobbling in. Still bleeding. Still battered. Still bruised. Cuts still there. Abrasions still there. And one of those reporters, you know how they are. They run up and put a microphone in your face. Said, why did you bother? I mean, why did you bother? You, you couldn't win the race. Why didn't you just throw in the towel and quit? This doesn't make a bit of sense. Why did you do this? You know what Aquari said? <coughs> My country, Tanzania, did not send me 5,000 miles across the ocean to quit. They paid my way and sent me here to start the race and finish the race. And I did. You look around at any given church and you'll see people that once sat in pews just like you. They sang the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Where are they at right now? Some of them perhaps are going to other churches, but most are going nowhere. They decided that this race that they were called to run wasn't worth it anymore. So they threw down the towel and they left and quit. You say, Pastor, do you believe that sometimes life can get that tough that a person could quit? Well, let's ask the Apostle Paul. He would be more an authority than I would be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives a brief autobiography of what he's been through in serving Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, begin with verse 24. Listen to what he says he's went through and this race that he's running. He says, of the Jews, five times I have been beaten with 39 stripes of a whip. Wow, that's a lot of whiplash. Three times I've been beaten with rods, clubs. Once I was stoned to almost to death, if not dead. Three times I have been shipwrecked. I've spent days and nights in the ocean. In my travels, I have faced dangers of drowning. I have faced dangers of thievery and robbery. I have faced dangers from my own friends who have betrayed me, from pagan people who don't know me. I have faced dangers in the wilderness, in the sea, 
even among those who have lied about me and accused me falsely. I've been tired. I've been pained. I've watched. I've been in hunger. I've been in thirst. I've fasted. I've been cold. I've been naked. And if that's not enough, I've got the burdens of the church on my shoulders and I'm trying to help young pastors. If anybody should have said, I quit, it was Paul. But you know what was said of him? He fought a good fight, he finished the course, and he kept the faith. That was his eulogy at his funeral. And he wrote his own eulogy, and God signed off on it. What would it take to make you quit? Look up here at me. What would it take to make you quit? Right now, what would it take to make you walk away from Jesus? Walk away from the Christian life? What would it take? Sadly, for some of us, it wouldn't take a whole lot. The first discipline you and I must have in our life if we're going to be great for the Lord Jesus is we have to have the discipline to finish. I'm not going to quit. It's not an option. I'm not going to quit. I'm getting across the finish line. I'll run across it. I'll walk across it. I'll crawl across it. But I'm getting across it. Secondly, verse 25, the second discipline is I will pay the price to succeed. Every man that striveth for the mastery or for the win or for the victory is temperate, is temperate in all things. Notice he didn't say most men. He said every man. Every means 100%. Everybody who ever wants to be victorious or a winner is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain earthly things, but we who are running the Christian race should want to do it because we're going to get eternal things. Now, that word temperate is an interesting word and literally means strict training by self-denial. Strict training. You know, athletes train. They just don't walk out on the football field and play football. They, they practice. They just don't go out on the softball field. They practice. They just don't show up at a track meet one day and run. They have practiced. And Christians are to be in training. And we're to be like athletes. We're to deny things from ourselves that would hinder us from being victorious, from losing, from failing, from not succeeding. That's what that word temperate means. It means to deny things. Take things out of your life that while they might be good, while they might be good, they're not good for you and becoming who you want to be for God. I just finished reading a book not long ago about Pete Maravich. Pistol Pete Maravich played at Daniel High School, then went on to play for LSU, went on to play with the Atlanta Hawks, and then the New Orleans Jazz, and then 
finished out his career with the Boston Celtics. He was voted to be one of the top 50 NBA players of all time. Many people consider him in the top five that has ever played the game. Pete Maravich holds scoring records that will never, ever be broken in college. He was considered the premier performer as a basketball player. He ranked right up there with the Harlem Globetrotters with his ability to play basketball, but also to perform and entertain with his amazing skills. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's a great champion. But what made him that? Did he just wake up one day and say, ah, I'd like to be a champion? No. At a very early age, he made a decision, I want to play professional basketball, and I want to be among the best that have ever played it. Not just make it to the pros, I want to be the, one of the best that's ever played the game. And he dedicated his life at seven years old to basketball. He took everything out of his life that would distract him, and he focused on basketball. At age seven, he had a basketball. Everywhere he went, he dribbled the basketball. Going to school, he dribbled the basketball. Coming home from school, dribbled the basketball. Going out to the mailbox, dribbled the basketball. Coming back from the mailbox, dribbled the basketball. Went to the department store, he dribbled the basketball. He dribbled the ball everywhere he went. Stories even told his daddy was leaving the subdivision that they lived in. He rolled down the back window and bounced the ball as the car was going. He eat and he slept basketball. Basketball was his God. He went to the gym and he spent hours shooting that basketball from every conceivable place you could shoot from. He learned how to shoot that basketball from every conceivable angle you can shoot a basketball. He learned to shoot with either hand. He was a scoring machine, 44 points a season, average, unheard of. And that was before the three-point shot. He was a basketball addict. You know what? He didn't become great by accident, did he? He became great by intent. There is no victory without sacrifice. There's no success without sacrifice. There's no winning without sacrifice. You can't win on the cheap. What we think is somebody's natural talent is what they developed through many years, and it looks so natural because they developed it that way. You find very few people who ever become great by accident. Every one of them have given up things that knew they knew would prevent them from being great. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be great for God? If I asked you to raise your hand if you wanted to be great for God, I have no doubt that every single hand in this place would be up. Pastor, I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to be average. I don't want to be mundane. I want to be great for God, Pastor. I want to be great for God. Are you willing then to give up some things to be great for God? Temperate, 
Are you willing to give up some things that while they're not wrong, listen to me, while they're not wrong per se, they're wrong for you because they would keep you from being gracious. There's a big controversy in many Baptist churches today about alcohol. Churches are actually voting whether they should drink alcoholic beverage or not. I'm not talking about getting drunk. I'm just talking about drinking wine and beer and Jim Beam with Coke. There, there's discussions about that, and there's many churches today who believe, well, as long as you don't get drunk, it's okay to drink alcohol. And many churches today are voting on it and fussing and fighting over it. Abraham Lincoln said it very well. Alcohol has many defenders, but no defense. Just visit the, the funeral home and look at some of the bodies there of people who chose to drink. It might change your mind about this whole business. But nevertheless, would you give up drinking alcohol, though you might feel like you have a right to do it, if it kept you from being great for God? Would you give up a job of your dreams if that job required you to go against your Christian convictions to keep it? Would you give up going to a social event or a sporting event or a political rally or a business party if you knew that your presence there was going to expose you to profanity, vulgarity, sexual flirtation and enticement, drunkenness, would you stay home? Would you give up an activity if that activity required you to miss church on a regular basis? Would you leave an organization or a church if it turned liberal and supported things that you no longer believed in, such as abortion or homosexuality or a gamut of other things. You see, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, to be great, you have to be willing to pay the price. And I'm not sure in our soft day that we live, there are many who are willing to pay the price. If we can be great on the cheap, we'll be great. But if it's going to cost us anything... The discipline to finish. The discipline to pay the price. George Beverly Shea, one of the greatest singers of all time of Christian songs, in early in his life he had the opportunity to join the Christie Minstrel Singers. They were the group of the day. They made big money. And he was an unknown and didn't have a lot. And he got an opportunity to audition for this group. It really was an audition. It was pretty much told it was his job. He can have the job. All he's got to do is show up and sing. Formality, they'll check him off. He'll be hired. George Beverly Shea looked at the song that was going to be asked of him to sing. And some of the lyrics disturbed him. He said, I'm a Christian. I cannot sing these lyrics. 
could I have another song to sing? They said, no, you've got to sing this song. He said, I can't sing this song. It goes against what I believe. And they said, well, if you don't sing the song, you can't become one of the group and you can't make a lot of money. He said, so be it. And he walked away from a career that could have made him famous and made him wealthy. God honored him, though. It wasn't too long after that that a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham invited him to come and be part of the, a new team that was being formed. And it was from that association with Dr. Graham that his signature song that George Beverly Chase sang all the rest of his life came out. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. discipline to finish, the discipline to pay the price. Thirdly, verse 26, the discipline to stay focused and stay on target. Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. I know where I'm going, he said, what he's saying. And when I fight, I don't just swing at the air. Now, what's he talking about here? Let me kind of give you an idea of what he's saying. If you aim at nothing, <laughs> you'll hit it every time. When you run in a race, you run to finish. Amen? You run to win. You're, so you're going to pay the price. Whatever it takes to win, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it into my training program. Whatever it takes I'm going to do it because I'm not just running to run, I'm running to win. And when I run, it's very important that I keep my eyes, my mind, and my heart focused and not be distracted. When a runner runs, where is the runner's eyes? A runner worth his salt doesn't look at the crowd and wave. He doesn't look at the sky and wobble. He doesn't look at the ground and watch his feet. His eyes are straight ahead at the end, the finish. Because that's where he's going. Your eyes takes your mind and the eyes takes your heart to where you're going. When a boxer fights, Who's he watching? The photographer? Is he waving at his fans? When he swings, what is he swinging at? Air? Well, if he misses, I guess he hits air. But he doesn't want to miss. His eyes are on his opponent. And he's trying to knock his opponent's head off. I know that's not politically correct, but that's what he's doing. When a soldier's called to a mission, the soldier's focus is on the mission. He's not texting. He's not making telephone calls. He's not playing checkers and tiddlywinks. He's focused on the mission. When a surgeon is operating on you, that makes it more personal, doesn't it? 
Do you want him to be watching the young and restless? And after he sews you up, where's the scalpel? Oh, I missed the X. That's okay. Heidi on the young and restless, he was doing so good. What's the purpose of doing anything? It's to stay focused. To keep your mind and your heart on what you're trying to do. And that's what he's saying here. Because if you don't stay focused, you lose time, you lose energy, you lose money, and most of all, you just lose. Y'all remember Forrest Gump? He went to Vietnam, and there was a firefight that developed, and they called in an airstrike, and the airstrike started dropping some ordnance that was pretty close, and Forrest Gump just took off and ran. I mean, he's running through those woods 60 miles an hour, trying to get away from the the enemy and, the, and his own ordinance being dropped. And you know something? He doesn't know where in the world he's running. He's just running. And that's like so many of us in the Christian life. We're just running. Where are you running to? I don't know. We're like Alice in Wonderland. And Alice is talking to the Cheshire cat. And she says, which way should I go, cat? And the cat says, that depends on where you want to go. And she says, I don't care. And he says, well, it doesn't matter then where you go. What are you running the Christian race for? What's your focus? What, do you, what are you trying to accomplish in going from start to finish, from beginning to end? May I suggest to you our focus should be upward. I want to bring glory to God. Whatever I do in this Christian race that I'm running, I want God to be glorified. I want people to say, oh, what a Savior when they see and hear me. I want to have an outward focus. I want to do good to other people. I want to make a difference in this world that other people will say it was good he was born because he made a difference in my life. I want to have an upward look, glory to God. I want to have an outward look, good to others. And I want to have an inward look, I want to grow. As I run this race, I want to grow in the faith. I want to be better today than I was yesterday, and I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. You see, that's focus. And without focus, you really won't accomplish anything. And that takes discipline. We got the discipline to finish. If you want to be great for God, you've got to make up your mind, what I start, I'm going to finish. Non-negotiable, I'm going to finish. You've got to be disciplined enough to pay a price. To take out things that are wrong out of your life, obviously. And to take out things that are right, because those right things aren't for you. They're going to keep you from becoming who you want to be. And then you're going to have to be disciplined to be focused. You can't allow sideshows to take your eyes and mind and heart away from the finish line and what you're trying to accomplish. And then lastly, in verse 27, as we close, Paul says you have to have the discipline of controlling your indulgences. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. 
lest that by any means, when I have told you how to be a winner, I myself should become defeated. Paul says, I don't want to be a coach and tell you how to do it, and I don't do it myself. He said, I've got to master my indulgences. Now, indulgences are not necessarily wrong again. In fact, most indulgences are not wrong. But if we're not careful, things that are right can become wrong for us if they put us into captivity. Jesus came to set the captives free. And some of us, because we can't control ourselves, allow ourselves to become captive to the things of this world. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. I've been preaching, I'm going to meddle. Pick up your toes. Some of us are captive to food. Like Wimpy, we can't pass a hamburger. We don't eat to live, we live to eat. We're captives to food. If you were asked to go half a day without a biscuit, you would be in tremors. It's not that you don't, it's not that you need the biscuit. <coughs> There's no health reason that says you have to eat. It's just you got to eat. When an entree calls, it calls your name and you run to it. When the dessert table calls, you say, reporting for duty. You're captive to eating. Some of us are captive to sleeping. We don't sleep to rest our bodies so we can have strength for the next day. We just sleep to sleep. Eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours a day, we spend with our eyes closed in cotton candy land. Some of us are addicted, captive to exercise. An hour a day isn't enough. We've got to have three hours a day. And we've got to have 90,000 vitamins, 16 protein shakes. We've got to have a gym membership, and we're going to be there three hours a day, seven days a week, 30 days a month, 365 days a year. We're going to get physical. Some of us are addicted to socializing. Technology. If you were to take a cell phone from some people, you would have to commit them. They would foam at the mouth. They would lay on their back on the floor and having a seizure. If you asked them to carry on a conversation without their telephone, they wouldn't know what to say. Say, so who are you talking about? If your phone's ringing, you answer it. <laughs> Better yet, if your text is flashing, look at it. But I mean, I, I, we're being facetious, but you know what I'm talking about. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus didn't come to take us 
make us free from Satan and sin and allow us to become captives to something else. And that's what Paul said. I don't want to be a slave to anything. I don't want to be a POW to anything. I don't want to be a captive to anything. I want to take things that are good and control them. I don't want them to control me. I want to control them. Because things that are good that are not done in moderation will become things that are done in excess and they will destroy us. It's discipline. Do you want to be great for God? Do you? It's not just going to happen. You're not going to wake up one day and all of a sudden your name is in lights. Jim Palmer, great for God. It's going to be because that's what we wanted. Three words, dream, decision, and discipline. Dream, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. Decision, that's what I'm going to be. Discipline, this is what it's going to take to get there. Most of us can dream. A few of us make the decision. Very few of us put the discipline in place to do it. If there was ever a day in the history of the church when God is calling his men and women, his teenagers, to stand up and be something, Sadly, most people are answering the call by sitting down and going to sleep. Let's get in shape. Let's start and let's finish. Let's pay the price, whatever that price is, be willing to pay it. Let's stay focused. Make sure that what we're doing is impacting a lost and dying world. And let's control things. Let's don't become slaves to anything. Let's control our lives and what goes into our lives that we might run the race. And when we get to the finish line, we will meet Jesus. And he'll hug us. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Heads are bowed tonight.